Kimber and I always joke about this when people ask us like about work-life balance or, you know, why do you do this work? It's like, well, <laughs> there's no other option. <laughs> you know, we have to support small businesses. We have to support local businesses. It's just like kind of in our DNA. And in the same light, like there wasn't another option. Our most vulnerable small businesses, which we support all the time, were in desperation mode and needed to rise to the occasion and do everything we possibly could. So it was it was emotional, but you know, I personally I think, you know, just had to carry carry other people that need to be carried through it. Hello, Rocketeers. Welcome to the weekly podcast for people craving richer relationships, fulfilling community, healthier masculinity, and permission to create. This week we're talking about fulfilling community. What would it be like for the businesses near us to be owned by our friends and neighbors? What would it be like if the money we spent in those businesses stayed in town and enriched our whole community? What if we all felt like partners in our economy instead of just customers? Today's guest, Thomas Barr, is the executive director of Local First Arizona, the largest coalition of local businesses in North America. A proud Arizona native and graduate of Arizona State University, Thomas leads the business coalition of Local First Arizona by advocating for the economic and cultural benefits provided by building strong local economies. Thomas's work is fueled by his values. In this episode, he reveals some of the personal and family stories that forged his values around justice and inclusion. He also explains how his advocacy for a strong local business community contributes to building vibrant, equitable prosperity across the state. In his free time, Thomas volunteers with many causes and organizations throughout the Valley, including Young Nonprofit Professionals, Equality Arizona, Arizona Commission on the Arts, Heritage Square Foundation, and Phoenix Legal Action Network. Thomas was honored in 2018 as one of Phoenix Magazine's 40 Under 40. He's an alumnus of Arizona Leading for Change and the Valley Leadership Institute's 40th cohort. We were so happy that Thomas Barr was able to join us this week to share his passion and plans for a thriving economy. He also shared the sometimes wrenching stories of businesses and business owners who Local First Arizona is working to keep afloat during COVID, the biggest challenge to small business in a century. Keep listening to the end when Thomas reveals his secret smell test to find out instantly whether a business is locally owned or not, and for his powerful vision for the next 20 years. All right, the tape is rolling. Check. Caffeine at optimal levels. Check that. The cats are secured. Yes. The microphones are hot. Check. We are Go, Go for, for Launch. launch. Welcome, everybody, to the Rocket Feather Podcast. I'm Charles Matthews. And I'm Kelly Robert. And we're here with Thomas Barr, the Executive Director of Local First Arizona. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Uh, you, why are you excited? I just love talking about the work that we do, and I'm excited to connect with other people that um, are you know, not in the same town as I am or city that I am. Um, they're passionate about Arizona and people in Arizona. So that's why I'm excited today. 
Great. Great. And full disclosure, Kelly and I are, are business members of Local First Arizona, and we were uh, telling Thomas before we started recording, we're just huge believers in in local business and, and the effects that it can have on the community. And I just like things that connect me, and I think local business does that for sure. But, and Local uh, First Arizona does an amazing job of that, and we're super impressed with them. And we're just happy to be a part of it. And we're happy to get to talk to you, Thomas. Awesome. Yeah. But uh, first of all, just how are you? How's the, how's the coronavirus impacted you? Are you healthy? Everybody, you know, healthy? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a, an ebb and flow of six months. Um, I think everyone that I know has been um, impacted negatively one way or the other and is dealing with the repercussions of the pandemic, whether that's fiscally, whether that's um, uh, emotionally, or your health, not not just your mental health, but your physical health as well. And so, you know, it's it's been quite the, the six months, I would say, that, that none of us expected. And the first couple of months were particularly, I think, challenging for a lot of people within our team not that we didn't rise to the occasion and deliver, but those first at least three to five weeks, small businesses, as, as both of you know, were very panicked. Um, we did, nobody really knew what was going to happen. We, we had, I mean, the first closure for schools that was put out was for two weeks, right? And we, we were like, no way, that's going to be all that it is, right? But it was like this inching of, trying to navigate what's happening next. And as the first closure came about, and I mean, there was panic, there was stress, there was anxiety. Um, all of these entrepreneurs that were connected to with the local first were calling us. And that's why we're here. You know, our, our services were put on a platform to deliver, but it was, it was 20 to 30 businesses a day and really having to talk them through um, getting them to feel a bit more stabilized about the resources that were going to be available, how to navigate them, and how to plan for the worse. I, I was telling businesses in March, you need to plan to get to October, not to April, not to May. Like You need to put a plan in place now to lose sales for six months. And here we are, and now it's like, <laughs> we still don't know how long it's going to go on, right? So it's been an interesting six months. It's been rewarding to be able to help, but it's also been um, a challenge. What were some of the steps that Local First Arizona took to pivot? I mean, you spoke really movingly about 30 businesses a day coming to you saying, I'm guessing, you know, tell me about PPE, tell me about loans, tell me about how to keep my customers safe. But what were some of the things that Local First did to respond? So I actually think it started before the pandemic hit Arizona. Um, I was looking back at my notes the other day, and on March 7th, our founder, Kimber Lanning, and I had a conversation because somebody on our team had asked us what we were going to do um, about the coronavirus pandemic. And if you think back at that time, nothing actually started to happen in Arizona on March 7th. Um, there were peaks in New York and um, Seattle. Seattle was like the, the epicenter of, of the attention in the United States for rising cases. And so Kimber and I had a conversation and we said, you know, worst case scenario, this takes over our state. 
we're going to have to really be positioned to respond. We can't be transitioning to work from home in the middle of a shutdown order. Or we won't, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to respond to 3,000 businesses plus about resources that they need, et cetera. So we actually transitioned to that and we moved our team to work from home, got them set up. We have 32 staff and four offices across Arizona. So it wasn't just like, you know, flipping the switch and we're home, getting everybody desks, internet, um, access to, you know, setups. Um, we let people take desks from the office and set themselves up at home. And, and just be ready. And it was March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. I remember that the governor put the, the state home order in place. Um, schools were set to not continue. And it was just kind of like this waiting game. And that's when it kind of was really hitting across the state. So while that all was going on, we did a little bit of research, reached out to the Small Business Administration and found that in order for small businesses to access the emergency disaster loans, it's actually a really long bureaucratic process. It's not just like, oh, you know, you can have access to these now. You have to show documentation. You have to convince your governor to formally request for the Small Business Administration to release emergency relief funding to small businesses in, in specific counties. So we did a lot of prep work. We called businesses in every county of the state, had them write letters. This is why we're going to need access to this. We had over 50 letters sent to the governor's office in 48 hours, and we were able to um, influence uh, Governor Ducey to formally request the funds so that they could be made available to every county in Arizona. And that was the point in time where our leadership team, who was meeting every night on the phone for two hours to talk about what next steps were going to be for two weeks, because at that time it was like, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen the next hour. Sometimes like we would we would say something <laughs> Thursday morning and by Thursday afternoon, it was either incorrect or there was new information out. So we had to be constantly communicating. But we realized when that happened, wow, like it wasn't influence, but it was trust that we not only had on the ground with more businesses than ever before, but we actually had a, had a, an open door to influencing policy and influencing next steps from a statewide perspective. So from that point on, the governor's office actually reached out to us. They said, what do you recommend? What should we be doing to ensure that small businesses have all the support that they need? So, I mean, <laughs> I wish I could show you the list. It was just like, um, make sure farmer's markets can stay open and operate as grocery stores, allow restaurants to sell alcohol to go, allow food trucks to set up as pop-up shops on highways so that um, you know commercial trucks coming through can purchase meals. And we just went on and on and on and we didn't get everything, but there were a lot of critical things we were able to help move forward in order to help as many businesses as possible. So there's a lot that we did, but I think it really started there and we really realized the potential and the influence that we had. And you, you started two weeks in it before you needed to. And that's that kind of leadership. I don't even, I don't even know how to describe, I don't know what the words are, you know, responsive, predictive, thoughtful mature, you know, compared to the sort of reactive leadership that a lot of other institutions around the country uh, took in the face of that. And I think that's, you know, just major, major kudos to you all for looking at, yeah, this is, this is going to happen and we might as well prepare for it. My experience as a, as a business owner and, and member, you know, when I went to the local first website, you know, after the shutdown, there were already videos and resources and, and you've continued to push stuff out on social media. 
you guys all sound really competent and calm and relaxed and like, oh, great. This is, I've got backup. That's what it felt Mm -hmm. like to me. Yeah, you guys have done an amazing job with that. Well, that's good to hear. You know, we identified a few things that we needed to be. We needed to be a trusted resource. There was so much information out there. And if the only place you're getting information is from social media or the news, it's confusing. It's, I mean, who knew what an emergency injury disaster loan was before March 21st? You know, it's just like there were so many things. I mean, we're not we're, we're not uh, a state that has natural disasters. So those types of things aren't common to our business community to have to be prepared for. So we had to be a trusted resource. Um, and then we had to look out for businesses, the most vulnerable businesses. We knew were going to be either overlooked by federal aid or not be able to wait for federal aid. And so the second thing we did was we launched what we called the Small Business Relief Fund. And we started raising money um, from private businesses and individuals to give out micro grants, small grants um, to businesses with less than three employees that relied on their business for their sole income. And this wasn't a case where we were looking to help, you know, because there was the eviction protection that was put in and stuff like that. It wasn't for rent. It was literally for businesses that had no income and were trying to put food on the table for their families. So we opened that up on March 30th, received over 3,000 applications. Uh, Not everyone was eligible for it because they had more than three employees. But in the course of um, then till now, we were able to fund over 700 businesses. We raised over uh, $2.3 million and were able to help out a lot of businesses in every corner of the state that really needed help. Um, that was really a rewarding, but a hard program because that was that was in the heat of it. I mean, those were the conversations where it was like we would grant out money and it would just be tears on the other end of the phone because these are businesses that couldn't wait for, you know, five weeks, six weeks, whatever, for additional funding to come through. So that was that was a pivotal component of what we were able to help provide. Thank you for sharing that little bit of an emotional moment. But what has it felt like for you? I mean, you haven't been the executive director for very long in this organization. You came up, you came up through this organization. You know, you grew up in Phoenix, and now you're, you know, now you're being called by Governor Ducey to say, "Hey, what do we need to do?" What's that? What's that felt like for you? I think it was exhibiting a lot of thick skin. I think in times of, of crisis, there's the responsibility of certain people, I wouldn't even call it fight or flight. I would just call it those that have the capabilities to carry others on their shoulders, really have the responsibility to do so. And it wasn't only that, you know, me personally needed to do that. We saw others on our team doing that and we needed to, we needed to do it (laughs) there. I mean, when Kimber and I always joke about this, when people ask us like about work-life balance or, um, you know, why do you do this work? It's like, well, <laughs> there's no other option. <laughs> like, you know, we have to support small businesses. We have to support local businesses, it's just like kind of in our DNA. And in the same light, like there wasn't another option. Our most vulnerable small businesses, which we support all the time, were in desperation mode and needed to rise to the occasion and do everything we possibly could. So it was, it was emotional, but, you know, I... Personally, I think, um, you know, just had to carry, carry other people that need to be carried through it. Yeah. 
And did you know that you were that kind of person? Did you know that you were the kind of person who would rise to a challenge and, and carry other people? I think so. I think so. Um, I've always kind of um, uh, facilitated that as my leadership style. Um, and we, I think, and, and I, I say we because I, it's a common practice for me. I know you're asking me personally, um, but I intentionally work to position myself for our team and for our businesses, not for myself and my recognition as a leader. So I think it was just natural for us to transition to resources and aid and guidance in a time of crisis as our country's economic weaknesses were being exposed. Um, you know, it was kind of like, this is what we've always been saying. This is what we've always been doing. And now everybody really knows about it. You know, when the, when the first round of the PPP came out and we saw Potbelly Sandwich Shop and Steakhouse and I think even the Los Angeles Lakers got a PPP loan and, you know, everyone's just like, can you believe this? And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> this is how the system works. This is how it's set up right now. And it's being exposed at, at an exponential level in, in a really desperate time. But we've got a lot of work to do to create a more equitable society that helps build more wealth for our small businesses. And I mean, this kind of stuff happens all the time. We're just not paying attention or it's not a time of crisis. And so it's not as elevated. Right. But, um, yeah, thank you for all of that work. And thank you for supporting these, these small businesses and these families. Like you said, it's, you know, when we, when I say the word small business, it sounds like something different than what it is. It's, it's families and, and people with families and people with employees who have families. It's, it's our neighbors and, and friends for sure. Yeah. And yeah. it sounds like you feel like these businesses, these small, small businesses are family to you. It's that's sort of the sense I got when you were talking about wanting to take care of them. Yeah. You definitely could say that. The, I mean, there's a lot of businesses I spoke to the first time and our, and our team was speaking to for the first time, but you know, a lot of our members are, are right here on my phone. It's, it's texts and phone calls, not emails that maintain those relationships. And so, you know, when I think of the small business community, it is, it is my home. It is the makeup of, of why I care about this place. And so, having those relationships and having them be so close is, is that important? Absolutely. I know you grew up in, you grew up in Phoenix, right? You went to St. Mary's high school. How did you come to understand that, that small business was so important to the community? Yeah. Um, I think it took some time and, and a, a while of reflecting what it really was. But when I, after graduating high school, it was 2007, which was right before the financial crisis was about to hit. And my father, who worked for the same engineering firm for, I think, 25 years, they were about to go under, got purchased by a different company. And things were, you know, even for my family, which I, you know, feel I come from a 
you know, middle-class privileged home um, were on the brinks of experiencing some um, challenging times. And so I actually postponed uh, going back to school for a semester, um, worked full-time, and helped my dad maintain his mortgage. And through going through that experience, um, after coming out of it, was a lot of reflection. Uh, why is our economic structure set up this way? And that was the exposure of of the Wall Street, if you will. It was it was the exposure of extraction of dollars. It was the heightened exposure of how vulnerable we are to big business failing. So, so your family was directly impacted. Essentially, your family was directly impacted by decisions that were being made by Lehman Brothers or or Sachs or whatever. I mean, exactly. Yeah, I, I think everyone was. It was like this thing that is so distant and far away, something goes wrong. And all of a sudden, our entire economy was almost shattered, right? And it took a bailout and, and all of these other questionable things to, to save the economy. And it was just like, you know, if I'm going to do something that not only contributes to building a great place, but restructures our systems to be more centered on building stronger wealth locally, the answer to that really is helping more entrepreneurs thrive and have access to the resources they need so that we're not so reliant on extractive and dominant big businesses that control the world right now. And so I started looking and reading into, you know, the Amazons of the world. And I mean, I mean, that's what it is now. But back then it was the Walmarts of the world and, you know, how they come into a town and then all of a sudden all the small businesses are out of business because they thrown their prices down. I learned about, you know, all these different scenarios that have changed the landscape of the U.S. economy and the world economy. And I wanted to be a part of something that not just combated that, but actually created a system that worked for everyone. So that's when I became passionate about that issue. Wow. Thank you for doing that, because I have gone through a similar thought process and have been horrified by, you know, Walmart, I, growing up in Jerome, Cottonwood is our, our shopping district and, and Walmart came in, you know, 25 years ago and basically wiped out a whole bunch of small businesses. And I've seen it happen. And I didn't do anything about it. You know, I didn't feel called or feel like my particular skill set allowed me to to step in and do something about it. And I'm I'm so appreciative that, you know, what what gave you the audacity to think that you could actually help and and do something about it? Well, I didn't think I, I didn't ever think that I really could until I found local first. It wasn't like, oh, I need to be doing this. It was, wow, this organization exists and is actually a solution. And when I got connected with their founder and, um, you know, at, at the time, that was seven and a half years ago, um, there's six people working for the organization and now there's 32. Wow. Um, so we've been able to grow and expand what we're actually doing exponentially. Being a part of that has been pretty incredible. That's great. That's great. I think uh, this is a good time to take a little pause. But also just to recognize that, you know, once again, like the theme that keeps running through this podcast, one of the themes that keeps running through this podcast as a whole is this idea that Kelly just mentioned. It's like we just keep finding people who 
do stuff and respond and solve solve problems and uh we're hoping to spread that around a little bit more you know instead of the instead of the homeland security if you see something say something it's like if you see something man work to fix it do something <laughs> do something <laughs> but we'll be we'll be right back with uh, more from thomas Parr. thanks so much for listening to the rocket feather podcast You are invited to our anniversary party. On October 30th, we'll celebrate one year of weekly podcasts, 45 guests, 2,500 downloads, and you. You, our listener, our community member, you keep us going, keep us dedicated, and keep us motivated every week. To celebrate and honor you, we're throwing a free live-streamed party with musical guests Drew Hall and Candace Devine poetry and literature readings, and check-ins with some of our most popular guests like Tom Check, Melanie Benayat, and Laura Fitton. Halloween costumes are optional, but we encourage you to RSVP. If you sign up at Eventbrite, we'll enter you in the Rocket Feather merch giveaway. To RSVP, go to here underscore together dot eventbrite dot com. That's H-E-R-E underscore T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R dot eventbrite dot com. Yeah, good. Speaking of merch, Kelly, our in-house graphic designer, has redesigned the Rocket Feather Creative logo to make it bolder, simpler, and faster. And now you can accelerate your look with an organic cotton t-shirt, comfy hoodie, hat, or high-quality sticker. Let folks know that you know good design, good community, and that you feel hopeful about the future. Podcast listeners, that's you, you can use the code ROCKET20 to get 20% off any purchase throughout the end of the year. And I just want to point out, I was a little, I was a little uh, freaked out when you said you were invited to our anniversary party. You and I have like three different anniversaries. This is the podcast, the podcast anniversary. anniversary. So now we have party. like four anniversaries. Right, yeah. right. We have so many. And welcome back to the Rocket Feather Podcast. I'm Kelly Roberge, and we are here with my co-host, Charles Matthews, and the lovely Ch- Thomas Barr from Local First Arizona. Thanks again for being here, Thomas. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that we that we noticed looking at your resume and snooping around on LinkedIn and doing all of our due diligence is all of the other organizations that you're a part of besides Local First Arizona, and it's you know, arts organizations, organizations supporting the immigrant communities, uh, lifting up Hispanic businesses, lifting up the LGBTQ community. What links all of that activism and engagement for you? What's the, th- is there a thread that ties all that together? Because it seems kind of all over the place. Uh, I think it's a couple of things. One is a commitment to create a better state. And you can't do that on, on one lane. You have to show support and and provide as much time and energy and assistance as you can to, to import causes. And, you know, all of the things that I give my time to, I view as vulnerable areas or areas that need more activation and, and time and energy put into. Part of my story, I, I say, is not my story. It's, it's my family's where part of my family is, is Mexican. Um, my grandma was born in in Arizona, I think in the 1930s, she passed last year. And she, when going to school in Mesa, spoke Spanish out in class and the teacher duct taped her mouth shut. 
And so in response to that, her and my grandfather, who I actually never met, he um, actually decided to not teach Spanish to their children, my mom and aunts and uncles, out of fear for retaliation, which is actually a pretty common um, practice in third generation um, Mexican families in our state. There's there's a decent number of us who don't speak Spanish or weren't, weren't taught Spanish as a first or second language in our homes due to that disassociation, not wanting to be um, either known or had surveillance put on you for being uh, Spanish speaking. So thinking back on, on that, um, I feel that it is part of my responsibility being on this this earth to speak up for those who have been silenced in a way. Um, literally I, silenced in the case of your grandmother. Literally, literally gagged. Wow. Sure. Yeah. So I do that for the small business community. I do that for the LGBTQ community. I do that for the immigrant community. I do it for the black community as much as I possibly can as a passing white male in this world. I believe it's part of our responsibility to address some of the messes that we've made. Um, maybe not personally, but as a collective. So that's part of the reasoning why I give as much time as I do as often as I can. Thanks for that. Do you sleep much at all or are you just, <laughs> I do you, um, but, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm an early riser. So actually a lot of people laugh. Um, my wife and I usually get up at four. I like being up before the rest of the world. So <laughs> that's, that's adaptive in Phoenix in the summer to get up before it gets back up oh, above totally. 100 it's, degrees. It's, it's the only way to do it. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's adaptive for 2020 because you got to get up before the, the crazy kicks into full gear. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It ramps back up. <laughs> And to, to go back to what Local First Arizona is doing, uh, what is the Shop Arizona Marketplace? What is that all about? Sure. Um, so over the past six months of the pandemic, you know, kind of talked a little bit about before how we've had so many conversations with businesses. We've surveyed our members. Uh, it's daily feedback and calls and assessments. What we determined early on is we have to be the absolute best predictors as possible about what's coming next, whether it's uh, an educational resource businesses are going to need, a pivot that they're going to have to be ready for to think about, technology, safety standards, whatever it is. And so I th I'd say the most difficult thing in this whole process has been trying to be all things to all people. You just can't, but you can try. <laughs> and one of the things we got really good at was not just staying, you know, walled off to what was going on in the rest of the world. We looked at data. We looked at um, what big businesses were doing. We looked at trends in markets and then translated that to what we knew we were going to have to provide to our community. One of the things that came out was a quick data collection of how people were spending their money uh, from March to April to May. I mean, anybody who hears this will say, oh, yeah. Online sales skyrocketed, right? Whether that was buying on Amazon or actually buying digitally, digitally from restaurants, digitally from businesses that had e-commerce sites, you know, whatever it was, it was all digital. So what we assessed from that was 
you don't flip the switch one way and then it just flips back. Like once, once people have been pushed hard habitually, they tend to hold on to certain components of that radically changed habit. So we knew that long term, even coming out of the pandemic, people, even if they come out of their homes and start going to work again, which probably isn't going to be anybody, we all know that, um, they're going to hang on to this digital purchasing. And so you match that with the fact that we also knew that big fall festivals wouldn't be happening this fall. And there's a lot of vendors, artists, crafters, you know, boutiques, clothing stores, jewelers, etc. like the makeup of small businesses, of entrepreneurship that will not have opportunities to sell to the public. So we wanted to solve a short-term problem and a long-term problem at the same time. And the long-term problem was small businesses, even if they have e-commerce sites, it might not be the best, but also they might not have the largest following in the world. I mean, it's hard to compete with Amazon when Amazon has everything on it, right? So we said we have to, <laughs> and you know, people came back to Kimber and I a couple of times and said, well, what if it doesn't work? We said, well, we can't think like that. <laughs> it's going to work. Um, we said we have to create a space for small businesses to effectively sell their products online and lead more people to find them. So in next month, we will be um, hard launching and releasing Shop Arizona. It is the one-stop shop e-commerce site where you will be able to find all of the unique gift cards, gadgets, clothing, jewelry, crafts, art, you name it, from certified Arizona small businesses. So is it sort of like an Arizona-based eBay sort of situation or an Arizona-based Etsy sort of situation? A little bit, but a bit more unique. Um, it's not just crafters. Um, you could buy a record. So oh, cool. say, say your favorite record um, is coming out. You could buy it from you know a local record store out of Tucson. How cool is that, right? Right. Um, rather than Amazon or Best Buy or whatever. So there's going to be that kind of stuff. But there will also be crafts. Um, the unique thing is that it's not going to be everything. You know, you go to eBay and you can find, you know, the first Alien DVD that was ever produced in 19, you know, 92 or whatever. This site you come to and you find the best of the best. <clears throat> it's every business is limited to 10 products. So oh, they're going to wow. put... Um, they can change them, but they can put 10 of the best things that they want to sell or that they want to test out. So maybe they have a new product coming into the market and they want to get the word out about it. Right now, we have about 20 businesses on the site. And um, by the end of the year, we anticipate we'll probably have about 100. That sounds very cool. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, it, it, almost, it, it almost makes me excited for the holiday season. I know, right? I had, right. I had not been excited about gift giving at all uh, this <laughs> year. And now now I am. Yeah, so it sounds like it's a curated selection of, of of the best of the best, as you say. Yeah, and it's also going to have some unique aspects to it. So we'll be implementing a gift card function. So say you wanted to give somebody something and support a small business, but you're not sure what to get them. You can get them a gift card to the site, and then they can use it to buy whatever they want. We're also going to be working in a wedding registry. You think when you go to a wedding, you know, oh, I got to go to this Target website or right. Bed Bath and Beyond. And I've got, I like, this is what they listed and I don't want to just buy them something random. So, um, you know, you're kind of tied into sending your money to these big businesses. 
Um, so we're actually going to build a wedding registry out of it where once we get enough products on the site, um, maybe it's not where you register for everything you want, but maybe there's some cool things on the site that as you're you know, getting married or even, you know, having a baby shower. You can register for some items from local businesses, you know, put your name attached to it, send it to family friends. It'd just be a cool way to support small businesses and get the products you're looking for too. So we're excited about that as well. Fantastic. I like how you're matching, you know, so you're looking at big data, but you're also matching kind of what we need and what we want. Like we need easy shopping. We need to be able to buy gifts. We need to be able to get things easily, quickly. But we want, and I'll just speak for all of us because I think we all want, a healthy local economy, which we can't get if somebody is registered at Bed Bath & Beyond or if we're trying to get a last-minute baby shower gift or or whatever. I think this is is really an astute project. So when does it it start? You said it's a hard launch coming in yeah, so the site's up right now, but um, there's going to be a hard launch next month after we um, get more vendors on board. We're, we're onboarding vendors right now. And so right before the holidays hit, right in that season when people go, start going to festivals and things, which probably won't be happening in, in a big capacity this year, um, we're going to be launching it right in the middle of, of November um, so people can be ready uh, for that holiday shopping. Excellent. Excellent. Although my sister does all of her shopping in I don't know, April for the next, for the next holiday. Um, but, She's ready. Yeah. I will, I have to ask this, will Northern Arizona be represented in, uh, in the holiday market or in the, uh, the marketplace? Yeah, 100%. Um, part of the, um, I guess, equitable nature of the site is that it is digital. And so it's not like an event happening in greater phoenix that is difficult to drive to if you're a northern arizona member or you're a tucson business so it's going to make it easy for businesses to sign up we have um you know people on our team that are doing specific outreach to businesses in northern arizona um to get on the site too so what you hear in the background right now everybody is the noon whistle in jerome arizona it's not it's not very loud you can it started off loud but (laughs) <laughs> Kelly's Kelly's recording remotely from her mom's her mom's house directly across from the old Hotel Jerome where they test the noon siren. Speaking of local. Yeah, super doesn't... local. <laughs> That's cool. Doesn't get more local than that. I love it. I don't I don't I don't know if anybody's ever stopped to say, do we really need to test it every day? I just think they just it just happens every day. Well, when and also it's not noon, it's 11.45, and one time when they fixed it and made it go off at noon, it, everybody got mad, and so they put it back <laughs> again. Because it lets you know you got like 15 minutes to get where you're going. <laughs> 15 minutes to get home for lunch. So anyway, speaking of Northern Arizona, there's there's the Jerome Whistle. So uh, you were saying that because it's, because it's digital, it allows for more a more geographic reach is that yeah absolutely so it's actually pretty cool because um you may not you know if you're in other parts of the state may not know of every business um that's in you know jerome or prescott or or what have you but you'll be able to find them on the site and then even you know be linked to their site if you want to buy more things so it'll be a cool way to get some more exposure for the businesses for sure so are there applications available for more vendors? Yes, absolutely. Um, you just got to be an Arizona small business and a part of Local First. The unique thing about the site is we're not taking a percentage of any of the sales. 
So that is something that was really important to us. And we think that will actually attract more people to buy. You know, when you go to, I, I don't know, I, we, we just didn't want to create a platform where small businesses were having to pay a certain percentage. I mean, you see all these e-commerce sites exist and they take six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever percentage from the business. And it's just like, uh, you know, how are they supposed to really make a profit? They need support right now. So that's a really unique thing about the site as well. That's great. So we'll put links to uh, the Arizona Marketplace and links to the vendor application in the show notes. So everybody should check that out. My guess is what we know about our audiences, there's probably a number of small businesses who might want to sell some stuff through the the shop Arizona Marketplace. And I know everybody's going to want to buy some holiday gifties. Maybe we should register ourselves, Kelly, on there. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. But Thomas, how do how do um, businesses get in touch with you? Do they need to be an Arizona First uh, local First Arizona member to yeah, they, be on the website? Yeah, they do need to be a member. Um, that's just so that we can make sure that we can provide all the support needed. I mean, we're going to be making sure you have the best photos possible of your products. You've got oh, great wow. descriptions. You can build out, you know, uh, a good profile for your business so that more people will find you. And, and to have that support. And in addition to that, you know, you, you get all the benefits of being a part of local first in general. That also helps us vet the businesses, you know, part of the, part of the vetting process is, you know, us making sure you're, you're a local company in Arizona, mm-hmm. not out of New Mexico or somewhere else, not that they don't need support, but we really want it to be Arizona focused. So that's part of that. But um, yeah, again, just, just being a part of local first is, is really the only criteria to get on site and then just applying it and getting up there. So fantastic. Membership is $35 a year, right? Yeah. And we, I mean, that's, um, that's nothing. We could afford that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We try to make it affordable. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a huge value. I mean, for that, what you get for that money is amazing. Yep. We already had our, had our free consultation and have made all kinds of new contacts through local first. And we get to be on the, on the Facebook group and, uh, pitch in our services and products uh, every week on that group and have definitely made some potential. That's, I got some, I got some potential clients from that. So that's great. Good. Yeah. That's great yeah. to hear. Yeah. We really enjoy it. We're, and we really enjoy it, not just for those benefits, but this is something that we talk about all the time. Like what is community and what, what is community for essentially? And we both feel this like fundamental psychological need for connection, even though we're introverts, even though we're gregarious introverts and are perfectly happy staying at home. Pandemic has been totally fine for us from that, from that perspective. There's still something about knowing, like I know Nicole, our baker at Pangea. You know, I know Shanti from Whipstone Farm who grows, you know, the best garlic. Um, and the most beautiful flowers. And the most beautiful flowers, absolutely. You know, we know, you know, Kathleen Yetman, who runs the the Prescott the Farmers, Farmers Market. Market. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's something about knowing people and being connected to them and being able to uh, support their dreams and support their projects. You know, Nicole uh, at Pangea Bakery was gone for years taking care of herself and now she's back. And, you know, it's like it's a community thing, which is not the same you know, I have no idea who the manager is at, at uh, Walmart. You know, I have, I have no idea whether he or she is undergoing family difficulties. So there's something about that connection. But it also seems like there's something 
you know, what, what role do you see local business playing in creating opportunities and supporting diversity and sustainability? What can we do here? What is Local First Arizona already doing to promote more, more uh, diversity and sustainability? That was, sure. a, that was a question cluster. I don't know if you can pull that, anything yeah. out of that. <laughs> well, it gives me room to answer however I want. How absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I guess I'll, I'll take those in two different buckets. One is diversity and the other is sustainability. Um, so the sustainability component is something we've been working on a long time. Um, um, and, and speaking to specifically environmental sustainability, um, we have programs that have been, um, in development and growing to the expanded statewide as we speak. And they're all focused on helping businesses, small businesses in particular, get access to proper resources to be environmentally sustainable um, in a couple of different ways. One is um, called is a program called Scale Up, which was birthed in Tucson, which is focused on helping businesses with older buildings retrofit their spaces so that they can meet sustainability standards, but not give up that critical older building stock that's necessary uh, for the makeup of our communities. The whole program takes businesses through trainings and audits and best practices in order to retrofit their spaces to meet good standards and also maintain that uniqueness of, of the buildings that they're in. The other is... Well, is there, is, there, is there something about local businesses that makes that more possible? Um, well, local businesses are more likely to um, be operating out of um, older building stock, mm. especially in our urban areas. Most new businesses move into, or, or out-of-state businesses, larger businesses move into newer building stock. Most of the time, out of the development phases of taking down older yeah. building stock and putting up new. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is show that you don't have to tear all that cool, funky old stuff down and lose your sustainability progress and goals. You can do mm -hmm. both at the same time. And both are critically important. That program is growing statewide right now. It, it, it occurs in a cohort function with businesses. And then the second is a certification program. And the hopes with that is to, in different light, take any business, be it old building, new building, business services, retail, audit themselves, and uh, get scored on their sustainability progress to get certified as a green business in Arizona. And the goal is to build a directory of green certified businesses so that locals and tourists alike who have a passion for supporting green businesses could go and, you know, say, you know, I want to go to a, a hotel or stay at a hotel that has met certain standards. This directory is going to show you who has. Or I want to go to the restaurant that's composting and, you know, maximizing their water usage, et cetera. This directory is going to show you all those businesses. So that launched in two cities two years ago, and we're looking to grow that statewide right now. I'd expect more northern Arizona cities to start to see more information about that as, as we continue to grow it. We have a team actually of four people right now on our sustainability team. That was one person three years ago. So that work is, is really evolving and growing. So that's one, one big piece of our work. And I think I just name year for years people have known us for our bi local work our membership program and our and our work has 
evolved a lot um, to have the, the, uh, added programs and sustainability is one of them now. So while we have a membership program with resources and opportunities, we also have a sustainability program with resources and opportunities. And then the other part of your question you asked about diversity, um, that is a, a journey that I believe every individual business and organization needs to be committed to. And we believe that Local First is essential for us to address and and own and and work harder at and bring others along with us. Diversity tends to just uh, bring us to think culturally or or things like that, and absolutely is a component of it. We also need to think through diversity in in every sense of the word: age, uh, region, race, uh, sexual orientation, uh, and we need to always be working toward bettering our diversity and addressing systemic issues that exist in the societies that we exist in that hold back or produce barriers for certain communities to not have strong diversity within them. So what does that look like? That looks like first acknowledging any privileges, power, or or things that you might hold on to personally or as an organization, educating yourself about the history and the issues that other communities have uh, existed within, and then building actionable steps that you continuously work on to work toward resolving those issues and being um, a part of the solution. So we take our actually our whole team at Local First Arizona through social and racial equity training to learn about these these things and have active conversations about them and have active conversations with our members about them. And we have active conversations with our partners about them. Um, shying away from the issue is not the solution. It's something that too many organizations and businesses have done for too long. And I'm guessing just the mission of Local First Arizona is going to support economic empowerment for, you know, marginalized and, and sort of, yeah, economically marginalized groups. So, you know, my guess is that one way toward economic independence and economic empowerment is by creating a small business. If you go to work for Lowe's, you might rise up and become a manager and get a decent salary, but you're never going to have any equity. Whereas if a family starts a restaurant, a bookstore, a food truck, a gift shop, a flower shop, that that would be something that you could sell and retire on or pass down to to your kids. I'm guessing small and local businesses are a key part of economic diversity and economic empowerment. Would you, is that an accurate statement? Oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't think that there's any any way around of, of saying that. So you said it very eloquently. Yeah, and that's you know that's one of the things a lot of us are concerned about right now with the coronavirus and the and the the contraction is that we know that black-owned and brown-owned businesses are are more affected uh, than white-owned businesses. And it's just going to be, you use the word extracted in the first section. And, you know, we usually think about that word extracted as like removing ore or timber from, from the land. But uh, the way big businesses work is they actually extract money from communities and take it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 
And I think that's a great way of putting it is extraction has happened in a lot of different ways for black and brown communities. And I think it's important, you know, if if that's a triggering phrase for some people, if, if you struggle with that, to remember that by addressing systemic and racial issues for black and brown communities, that doesn't mean that issues for other businesses don't need to be and aren't being addressed. It is just that we are naming and recognizing a very specific thing that we have to address as a country. So. Yep. Who is that? Our, that dog in the background. We all got him, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, let's take another, let's take another little break and then come back for a short segment to kind of wrap up. We'll be right back with more from Thomas Barr and the puppy who remains nameless right now. There he is. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Rocket Feather Podcast. We're really proud of it. We're also really proud of a podcast that we do for Prescott Woman Magazine called the Prescott Woman Podcast. This month, we interview Dr. Nisha Tung, an electrocardiologist working in our local hospital. We find out about the different ways that electricity works in the heart, but we also get to hear about her background, her past, what she was like as a little girl, and all the challenges that she worked really hard to overcome in order to be a top-notch cardiologist. So check that out at prescottwoman.com. No, sorry, prescottwomanmagazine.com. You'll find the link to the podcast there. As ever, we are filling our show notes with scads of links and key info sources just for you. This week, you'll find links to the Shop AZ Marketplace, where you'll find curated Arizona-made gifts, as well as resources for shopping locally and for local business owners. And you know, it it takes less than 15 seconds to leave us a testimonial or a review on podchaser.com. Less than 15 seconds. I timed it. Oh my goodness, that's very fast. Yes, it's very fast. And, you know, we produce this podcast for free and with no ads. And as we've been saying, it would mean a lot to us to find out what you like and what we can do better. Last week, we set the goal of getting just two. Two. Two ratings on Podchaser. Measly ratings. Yep. And I know you're waiting to hear. I know you're waiting to find out. Yeah. How many? We did not hit our goal. We did not hit our measly goal. Yeah, so the question now is... Do we guilt them? Do we lay on the guilt? Or do we just kind of cut everybody some slack because they're probably busy? You know, knowing knowing what I know about our podcast, I'm guessing that our listeners are not ones who are motivated by guilt. Plus, it just feels yucky. Yeah, yeah. So we're not going to use guilt, so we're just going to use, again, gentle persuasion. It would mean a lot, and you would be helping other people find this podcast and Mm -hmm. get some of the goodness. This is not a zero-sum game. No. Everybody can listen to the podcast. It doesn't mean you have to divide it up, and everybody gets a smaller piece (laughs) of the podcast. The more people who listen, the more people who listen, the better it is, right? So Absolutely. Take 15 seconds. Go to podchaser.com slash rocketfeather. Uh, give us a four or five star rating. If you have a few more seconds, go ahead and tell people why you like this podcast. It will make a big difference. We want to be on the kind of the second wave 
of amazing podcasts uh, this century, and you can help make that happen. Absolutely. And if you're feeling any guilt right now, I think that's I think that's just on you. Mm. It just means that you need to go and do the review, and then you'll feel better. Absolutely. All right, now we should go back and wrap up this amazing show with Thomas Barr. Let's do it. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Rocket Feather Podcast. We're here with Thomas Barr. I'm Charles Matthews. I'm Kelly Robert. We've been talking about small and local business and how important they are to community. We've heard the, the 1145, not the noon whistle, but the 1145 whistle in Jerome. We've heard that. What is the name of the dog? Can we just name the dog, Thomas? Yeah. Oh, it's Alfie. 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 We, we, heard, yeah. we heard Alfie get up from his nap. Um, so, Thomas, just to just to kind of wrap up a couple of questions. What projects are you most interested in this year? You've talked about a couple of really a handful of really interesting ones. But what's what's the one that's uh, that's your baby? Do you have a? Oh, there's there's so much um, our team is working on right now. Um, it's hard to pick one. Um, I don't know that I have a baby uh, project right now. Um, I will say we're we've been reimagining um, how we provide support and services to to our members and to small businesses in general as we pivot and recalibrate who we are and what our value really is coming out of this. You know, we've I think I've seen team members grow on this team more in the last six months than they had before in two years. Um, just based off of just being put up in the pressure of, you know, providing these resources. So something, something was called up for right. from them. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's been, it's been really exciting to see that happen. So, you know, when I look back at, you know, local first before March and local first now, I see an organization that has completely remotely and not in person provided more resources and support to small businesses than we did when we were in person. Um, I think you're going to see more programmatic support. Maybe you'll see events come back, but not just events, right? Um, I think we got very focused on doing events before, and those are important. In-person things are important. But you're going to see more, I think, tangible, real long-term resource support for small businesses in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, right now we are wrapping up facilitating a $10 million uh, grant through the governor's office um, that is rent and mortgage support for small businesses. And we've been able to do that because of the trust and the relationships that we built with businesses across Arizona for so long. So as our team looks to the future and looks to 2021 and beyond, tightening up, we're getting much more efficient and we're looking at what the real impact will be. A lot of that is you know, a bit more technical assistance. How can we really help businesses think creatively about how they position themselves? You know, I always tell people, shout on top of rooftops all day long, go buy local. But if you go buy local and local sucks... <laughs> you don't want to go back. So local's got to be awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got to equip and enable more businesses to to have the best experience, the best products, the best customer service possible. There's a story we share, and I won't name specifics of where or who, but there was a uh, business, a grocery store in a small town. A woman had heard us give a presentation about Local First and the work that we do. 
was all fired up. You know, I'm going to go support my hometown grocer. Went out there after work, um, and it was just chaos. Uh, could not find anybody to answer her questions. There was lines. There was confusion. Couldn't find the product she needed. You know, 15 minutes after going in, she was just like, screw it. I'm done. Goes home, looks up the business online, finds the owner's email, sends an email. I just had the worst experience ever coming to your store. You know, all I wanted was egg. Like, here's the list. I wanted a dozen eggs, loaf of bread, um, milk, and, you know, this is all that I wanted. I couldn't even find it, couldn't even get it, couldn't even get out of the store. That same night, the owner of the store shows up on her doorstep with the items that she listed that she needed when she came to the store. And he said, I am so sorry. Three people did not show up to work today. Things were chaotic. And I'm so sorry you had that experience. But here are your groceries. I hope you'll come back when you're ready for more. Mm. Customer for life, right? I mean, it sends chills down your spine. If small businesses are not delivering on that level, they're going to go out of business. You have to be be delivering service experiences that chains and national companies will not and are not doing. Um, And that doesn't have to look like showing up on the doorstep of every person that can't find the products in your store, but it can look like making sure that those come in have the absolute best experience they possibly can. I tell that story because we have the responsibility vocal first of training businesses to learn how to do that and sharing the stories of the businesses that are doing that really well. And so I think you're going to see a lot, a lot more of that coming out of us. Yeah. Well, I think I'm really impressed with the way that you and local first Arizona really, again, get into, you know, what is it we want? What is it we need? And what can, what can we bring to bear to make that work for the consumer and for the, and for the business? I think that's, I think that's really, really powerful. What would you like the the Arizona economy or the business climate to look like in five years? What can be happening in Arizona? Is it just Walmarts on every corner or? Uh... I think we're going to see, well, I hope we would see, and I know what we're working toward is, speaking of diversity, a more diverse set of entrepreneurs um, entering the landscape. Um, and that comes through in a lot of different industries. And we tend to think of small business and just think of restaurant retail. But um what I've been talking to a lot of businesses about is, again, trying to be a predictor. There's going to be a lot of new business opportunities coming out of the pandemic. And it's ideal right now to try to get into those spaces. A lot of people already got into those spaces as the pandemic was starting. Like, look at the plexiglass and the signage and the cleaning companies that are actually doing all right right now, right? But there's going to be a lot of different opportunities to take advantage of. And what is going to be important is that we allow space and opportunity for small businesses to own that rather than just being reliant on large companies to offer to us. We want equitable ways, more equitable ways for small businesses to thrive and grow and build their companies and just build wealth for themselves. So we might be seeing a lot of different models of business. Um, I was just on the phone with a gentleman who owns a handyman company yesterday who's saying, I cannot find good people to hire. I just can't do it because he needs two things. He needs good people. He needs handyman services, which is a declining career being pursued by younger people. So, I mean, 
look at that space. You have so many young people just going to college and getting into debt when there's this whole space for something that's going to always be needed. So we could look at different models for that. It doesn't, it might not just look like more companies or small business companies entering the space. It could look like cooperative or employee owned models where you join the company and you're an owner in the business, you have more stake in the business, you pay for more than just going to work for a national company that might do the same service. And it builds more wealth for the local economy. So we're looking at ways that we can influence more of that. Maybe not just in a model like that, but um, in different types of businesses and industries. And that kind of that kind of cooperative model is available to professionals like lawyers and doctors who you know can join a practice and right. have an office manager and have a bookkeeper, and all they have to do is do the thing that they love to do: practice law, practice medicine, whatever it is. Um, and they've got all this support around them. Yeah, it would be wonderful to to make that available for more folks. That's that's wonderful. Great. Well, what about 20 years? I have it written down somewhere. <laughs> you do? No, I really do. Fantastic. I, I really do. <laughs> um, so actually, um, currently right now we're revising a little bit, but um, our leadership team at Local First Arizona now consists of, gosh, I think it's eight people. And one of the things that we're doing right now is really looking at, you know, what does local first Arizona do, what is, you know, our core purpose and what do we want to accomplish in five years and 20 years in in this amount of time. And so we're really right now looking at all those pieces of, of the puzzle, not really redefining, but narrowing in on what our focus is and, and what it is we're set up to do. But as we look toward the future and we look toward building more opportunity in Arizona, it's all going to be focused on the different components of our programming thriving. We can't have a strong local economy if we don't have equitable opportunities for everyone in our state, right? And a diverse set of opportunities and ownership opportunities for people in Arizona. We can't have a strong local economy if we're not thinking about the environment and we are just burning carbon emissions, right? Um, we can't have a strong local economy if we're tearing down all of our old building stock and and making it harder for small businesses to access those types of things. And we can't have a strong local economy if we're not creating collaborative, um, innovative, styled thinkings and trainings and collectives of small businesses throughout Arizona. So in order for us to build the Arizona we want and to have it really display and uh, and feature all of our strengths, all of these things have to coexist and all of these things have to work together. So that's the goal. Ooh, I might have to stick around. That sounds exciting. (laughs) (laughs) That does sound really exciting and really ambitious. And I'm, I'm on board, man. Sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, yeah. you guys already signed up. I know. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a science for us this week, Thomas? Yeah. One of the things that I tell people to do, because um, what we tend to do and the reason, like, I mean, it's kind of ingrained in me, drive around, walk around, bike around, whatever. I know who's local. I know who's not. It's just like 
yeah, no, no. <laughs> like, it's just like, I know who I'm purchasing from and I know pro- <laughs> mostly where most businesses are headquartered. And if they're not here, I know, you know, that they're not a local business. You know, I can, I, the sniff test is kind of in my blood. Yeah. What is the sniff test? Can you, so, is that something so that you can actually. So here's the experiment. And okay. this is the easiest way. Every time you buy something, whoever you interact with, say, who owns this place? Ooh. <laughs> and if they can like answer, it. they're probably a local business. If they can't, or they answer in a way that's weird, <laughs> probably no, they're not. <laughs> um, most local, most people that work for local businesses know exactly who the owner is. And they'll tell you their name. They'll tell you when they're in. They'll tell you everything about them. Um, and that's the easiest way to know whether or not you're actually supporting local business or not. Oh, I love it. That's perfect. That's perfect. Thomas, thanks so much for, for spending all this time with us and inspiring us about, you know, the future of this state and the future of this economy and all the work that Local First is doing. You know, thank you as a, as a small business owner. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for being here for us through this really difficult time. And, you know, this is, this is what's going to define us, right? How we, how we all got through this, whether we got through it selfishly or in community and, and sharing and looking, looking out for everybody. So thanks for being a part of that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Appreciate everything you do. I absolutely love knowing that smart, caring people like Thomas and Kimber are on the case here in Arizona to help us build and sustain strong local economies. I appreciate the convenience of a chain store as much as anyone, but when, you know, when we go down to the valley and experience just mile after mile of nothing but strip malls and chain stores, I gotta tell you, it really bums me out. I wanna live in a place that feels authentic and vibrant. Um, I spent years living in Jerome, as did you, and so we're used to working for and being in community with local business people. It's just our normal. And there's such a different feeling being around small business owners, people like Jen Herbert from The Meadery or Audra Yamamoto from Granite Mountain Brewery or Ty Fitzmorris from The Raven. These people are involved in our community on so many levels. We know they care about us as customers and as people and as neighbors. We see how they treat their employees and those employees are our friends and neighbors also. Being one of hundreds of employees at a corporate giant just doesn't feel the same way. And then seeing all those profits getting piped right out of town really stresses me out, too. Absolutely. You know, Kelly just name dropped a handful of our favorite local business owners. Who are the owners and entrepreneurs in your community who make a difference? Who keeps your town vibrant, unique, just, and equitable? Mm consider making that extra effort to support them. Yes, order some takeout for sure, but also think about the bookstores, gift shops, and other retailers who are really being hurt right now. Do what you can to keep your money local where it can benefit your neighbors and sustain your community. And tell us on social media who you support and why. Give them a name drop. Give them a shout out. So this week... We're suggesting that you join Local First Arizona if you're a business owner. They offer so much value and together we're so much stronger. We have a voice and we have power if we get together. You can also follow us on Instagram at Rocket Feather One. 
or join us in the Rocket Feather Community Lab on Facebook if you want to hang out with us and talk more about all of these great subjects that we have on our episodes. Last but not least, save the date for the anniversary party on October 30th from 4 to 6. That's Arizona time. Go to Eventbrite to register for free and get reminders. And here's the kicker. Get entered to win a Rocket Feather hoodie. Tell your friends. It's going to be a great show with former guests, music, literary moments, and surprises. To RSVP, go to here underscore together dot eventbrite dot com. That's here underscore together dot eventbrite dot com to be entered to win. Yay! It's going to be so fun. You don't want to miss it. It is now safe to unstrap and leave the rocket. Until next time, this is Charles Matthews and Kelly Robert wishing you an enriching journey into a thriving community. We love you. We love you. Thank you.